We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Steven Adams is a monster, man. He's a, <laughs> he's a monster like somebody from Game of Thrones or something. Like we call him uh, Gandalf because like he's never early or late. He's always <laughs> at the right time. And my job is to never stop, regardless of percentages. I don't really give a damn about percentages, honestly. All I care about is wins. Yeah, I'm used to it. I'm used to this. Y'all ain't met playoff P yet, huh? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Uncontested podcast where we cover the NBA, OKC Thunder, and pop culture. You can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and at our website, theuncontestedsports.com. Gamir actually just put an article up there earlier this week, so make sure you go read that as well. Uh, I am the Thunder Mob, Jacob Niffin. Today I am joined by the man with a new master's degree, Kamiar Morabian. I am in a lot of debt, but uh, maybe it'll be worth it one day. Maybe. Well, you're teaching, so to pay off that debt's going to take you like 40 years. Yeah. Hey, but congratulations, uh, everyone here at the podcast. We're super excited for you and happy for you, so good job. On On today's episode of The Uncontested, we are going to talk about the NBA Conference Finals, which are actually playing as we're recording. We're going to discuss the latest on the Paul George's summer saga discuss the coaching carousel around the league, touch on a bit of the draft, and much more. But first, we're going to throw it over to Kamiar for some Thunder Talk. So something that popped up on Twitter randomly the other day, it was pretty odd. Randomly, we just all just hanging out one day, and then next thing you know, you see an image of Paul George cheesing his ass off, like smiling from ear to ear, but like in a hospital hospital gown, and he's got the little thing on his head. And it's like, hey, we're in good spirits. And none of the beat writers knew what was happening. 
and it was pretty odd. And then later, was it the same day or was it the next day that they came out and said Paul George not only had a, a knee scope, but also had a, an operation on his elbow for bursitis? Was it that day or the next day? I think it was that evening uh, Shams from Yahoo tweeted it. And then the Thunder released a, um, a statement that night as well. But, yeah, it was weird. Like you said, Paul George just, like, posts on Instagram this picture of him in a hospital bed, presumably high as f- and then we just, uh, what's going on, Paul? Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was weird. It, it was just really strange. And then nobody mentioned the elbow. It was all about the knee at first because we saw things, you know, his leg was wrapped up. And then later on, we say we see that his elbow was also wrapped up. So the knee was just a scope, which just means they're going in and cleaning out any unnecessary stuff and some fluid buildup and some maybe some damage. And then... The elbow, he said he had elbow bursitis, which means there's like inflammation in his, in his shooting elbow. There's uh, there's a fluid in there. So that might be be attributed to his struggles of shooting and his elbow tightness and his, and his, and his shooting arm. So it would make sense that he might feel uncomfort. But like we're suggesting is that is there anything to read that it wasn't necessarily his own personal doctors or any other second opinion? Is there anything to read into that? that Oklahoma City doctors were the ones that helped them make the decision and the ones that were present in these surgeries? That's a good question. I don't I don't really know. I mean, technically, he is still employed by the Oklahoma City Thunder until July 1st. So he, I, I would assume, I don't know anything about how, like, injuries and op- opinions and decisions and all that with medical stuff in the league works. But I would assume that this is pretty standard procedure to have the team that you're currently employed with work with you to decide the best course of action. But it seems like Paul George's representation and the Thunder um, worked together to to make this decision that it was best that he go in and and get this stuff done. So, do we know it, when the operation where the operations took place, either in Los Angeles or Oklahoma City? It was in L.A. So he had Oklahoma City, doc- not doctors, but Oklahoma City personnel there, like helping him make these these decisions in Los Angeles. Yep, that's what it seems like. So I mean, that's a, that's a pretty decent sign. But at the same at the same time, like you suggested, he is employed by the Oklahoma City Thunder for now. So they're the ones that help him make those decisions. It's not like he would like have LA doctors. He might have his own, but he's still under the care of OKC. Definitely, and I I do think it's interesting. Reports are that he can resume off-season activities in six to eight weeks. Eight weeks puts him in about the end of the first, beginning of the second week of July, which whenever we look historically, big-name free agents like Paul George, uh, should he choose to opt out of his deal, which we all assume he is going to, big-name free agents like him typically have their free agency decision made by, Mm -hmm. what, July 4th, July 5th. It typically doesn't take that long, you know. So he probably can't even get back to working out and get to his off-season routine until after he's decided where he's playing in the 2018-19 season. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and that's that's totally right. And I think the fact that he's still dealing with the he would be still dealing with a knee scope, and he would be still dealing with is- issues in his elbow. And I guarantee you, his jumper and his defense would probably still be better than Carmelo Anthony's. Yes, <laughs> even while he's like all bandaged up and can't play, it's still probably better than Carmelo Anthony. I mean, to be fair, Melo had it going early in the year, but he was just terrible down the second the, the stretch of the season. But you know, 
this is not a mellow pod, so we're just going to keep on going. Yes. So Paul's Instagram picture was just like the funniest thing because he was smiling. And my first reaction was like in the Slack, my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, this guy is on so much morphine. Just get him to agree conditionally to a long term deal like immediately because, you know, he's high. Yeah, he was, that, that, he was that gone, dude is man. Out of his mind. He was gone. So, what we did at the uncontested was we had people caption the picture, like retweet it or just tweet us to the caption of the picture, and we'll just go with what people said. And then afterwards, we'll choose like me and Jacob will choose the best tweet that said that really encapsulated that that picture the best, and we'll give away our first uncontested T-shirts to people that tweeted in. So yes, at Jazz Sixth Man says when you wake up from a dream where you don't play with Mellow anymore. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, that's probably is that a, true. Is that a dream or is that a dream or a nightmare? Uh, playing with Mello was probably at first a dream and then turned into a nightmare. You woke yeah, up. Correct. You remember? I think it was. It was early on in the season, and I think it was against Dallas here in Oklahoma City in a game that Mello didn't play, and it was the game that Paul went for like forty-three or forty-five or something like yeah. that. And the first thing they asked him about after the game was. Um, Mellow not being out, and what did that mean? And Paul just said, more shots. So, yeah, I could see it being a dream not playing with Mellow anymore, not having to cover up those defensive like deficiencies and getting to shoot the ball more. True. That was a good one, though. The next one is from at Barstool OKC, and they said, when the nurse gives you a bottom half of a body wash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't even know, man. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. This next one is at, how would you pronounce that? King Caden? Yeah, that, that's at his King name, Caden. King Caden, but without the vowels. When you get a you up text at 1 a.m., that's true. I, I, I could see Paul George doing that. He gets the, uh, the you up text. I mean, I love Paul George, but isn't his baby mama like a former stripper? Jeez. I'm pretty sure that's true. So, yeah, he's probably always responding to the you up texts. Well, what you just said is pretty relevant because at Girls Dig Sports 2, they tweeted, just heard the doctor's a former stripper. <laughs> hey, that's... Uh, yeah, that, for those that don't know, PG's wife is a former stripper. Yep. And hey, I mean, if the doctor's a former stripper, she's uh, she's doing well for herself. Yeah, no joke. I bet, next I bet one, that pays off that uh, those student loans pretty quickly. Stripping. Jeez. Maybe you should consider that, Come here. Yeah, I'll probably consider it. Probably wouldn't be a bad idea, actually. Uh, next one, at Derp Derp Dip. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good handle there, pal. Uh, derp Derp Dip says, when Presti gets Mello to waive his no-trade clause. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a that good is one. a good one. I like that so, one. Out of all of these. All five of them. Which one deserves a free shirt? Man, do I don't know. They're all good. I kind of like the uh, the nurse giving the bottom half of a body wash. <laughs> that one cracks me up. <laughs> Which one do you like? I like when the nurse gives you the bottom half of a body wash, too. All right. Well, then Barstool OKC, we're going to send you a T-shirt. They're really cool. They're made by our buddy Andrew over at passive juice motel you guys should follow him on twitter check him out on instagram he makes a lot of really cool designs our uncontested design is a uh, a knockoff kind of a callback to the old super nintendo sega genesis game nba jam 
Uh, they're really awesome shirts, so we're going to go ahead and get you one ordered and sent your way. So we will be in the DMs in the next day or two. So be on the lookout for that at Barstool OKC. All right. Well, moving on to more PG talk. So these past few weeks, and it's only been like really two weeks since the Thunder season has been over. And God, it feels Paul like forever, George, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. And Paul George rumors immediately after the Utah series just started. Like as soon as the series is over, like two days later, you hear this stuff from uh, Ryan Rossillo. He was on a podcast. It wasn't like an actual report more so than like hearsay. He was like, oh, well. I'm just saying I heard from a reliable source, but uh, Ryan Russillo says that he had a source telling him that he trusted uh, that PG is gone. And then he said on his podcast as well that uh, Royce Young would know more about it, but he said he really trusted his source on a podcast. Whereas just the other day, Chris Haynes, I think it was a couple days ago, he, Chris Haynes said a guy close to PG said he would not be surprised if Paul George re-signed in OKC. So what is what is there to make of this, if anything? Man, it's so tough because you know everybody is going to have an opinion on this Paul George thing and what he's going to do over the summer. And you also have to think, like, are these sources reliable? Obviously, you would think that two guys from ESPN and Chris Haynes and Ryan Rosillo aren't going to come out and say something um, if they don't trust their source. But it, it also comes down to you have to question what is the source getting for for reporting this information. You know, what what whoever told Chris Haynes this, what was the benefit for the source? Whoever told Ryan Rosillo this, what was the benefit for that source? And so it's kind of hard to uh, to gauge. But honestly, I I don't think these reports coming out mean anything. I mean, last summer... Or two summers ago after KD left, we got that report that said, um, I forget who it was from, I think maybe David Aldridge, who said there's a 95% chance that Russell Westbrook is gone. He's not going to stay in OKC. We -hmm. got, you know, Woj saying there's 90% chance that KD will stay in Oklahoma City. So all these reports and these sources coming out really don't mean anything. The only time I'll start to take this Paul George sourcing on where he's going seriously is whenever I see something from either Royce or from Woj or from Shams, whenever they come out and they say something, I will, then I will start to take that to heart. Besides that, this stuff, we're, this is only May. I mean, we're in the second week of May. We still have two months to go with this and there's going to be so much more talk. Yeah. It's very, very early. Uh, there's not a lot to talk about, and that's why people are really making a lot of this stuff up. And, I mean, the the whole point is that even when Kevin Durant was in Oklahoma City, you had a lot of people saying he was staying. You had a lot of people saying that, well, maybe he might consider the Celtics. Not a lot of people thought he would join the Warriors, and that's what happened. Yep. And then you have to consider, right as soon as the season was over, I think it was last year, before Russ's extension— um, the top NBA or rival NBA executives or many NBA executives thought Russell Westbrook was like 95% gone, 100% gone. And next thing you know, he signs uh, an extension and, and it's Cantor's out there trolling people, tweeting out, you know, <laughs> random pictures. So you the, can't really yeah, trust. Ennis Cantor's Laker tweet was one of the best things maybe so in OKC Thunder history. So you can't really trust a lot of things. I mean, it's May. The we haven't even gone to the finals yet, 
And we're not going to hear anything about this that's legitimate till late June, probably, yep. where people are starting to court PG. Now, I think you mentioned the other day to me that in, not NBA, but Vegas odds put Paul George going to OKC as second. And the, the most likely odds were, would be him going to Los Angeles to the Lakers. Is yep. that right? Yep. That was what Bovada put out. Typically, I mean, you can you can really gauge a lot of things that are heading in decent directions as far as as far as what would the turnout be from Vegas because sometimes Vegas knows what's up. For example, when Kevin Durant was in Oklahoma City, the odds were that Oklahoma City were the odds on favorites for Kevin Durant to return, and then something had happened. It was very clear, and Vegas got wind of it, and the next thing you know overwhelmingly odds turned to Kevin Durant going to Golden State, which people are like, well, Vegas is probably wrong, and they were right. So Vegas yep. knows what's up. Vegas has inside sources, so you can typically tell the line that's heading that way. So, But this is just speculation. Ryan Rossillo, it's speculation, just like uh, just like Chris Haynes. They, it's all speculation. Guys close to PG. Oh, I have a source about PG that maybe he's doing this. You can't to say a lot of that because people are just really guessing and just saying getting words from secondhand sources whereas Presti said well why don't you just talk to the guy himself yeah so, and I, I think that's as as far as Thunder fans are concerned like I don't think you can start stressing over the Paul George thing right now because like we said there's there's gonna be so many reports out there but from what Sam Presti said from what Paul George said from what we've seen and our little glimpses on social media, it seems like Paul is very much committed to keeping an open dialogue with the Thunder, both the coaching staff and the front office and with Russ. And I think, you know, you, you have to rely on that. You know, you have to rely on that, that communication and that trust between those people. And if, if PG wants to come back um, it, it's a good sign that he's determined to keep an open dialogue with the Thunder front office. So that that's the thing I would read into the most right now. If he said in his exit interview, you know, I want to take a step away and like get away from everything for a while and not worry about it, that's one thing. But Paul specifically said, I want to keep talking with Sam and with Billy and with Russ and see what we can figure out. And if he was willing to keep that dialogue open, that's – I think that's a good sign. Yeah, he noticed he didn't say Carmelo there. Neither yep. did Presti in their exit interview, so that's something to think about. Yep. But in the latest Wash pod, Adrian Wojnarowski stated that in 2013 in the draft, OKC was actually discussing with Toronto to trade them the 12th pick. When Adams was still on the board at 12, OKC took, kept the pick and took Adams, and Toronto wanted the 12th pick to take Giannis. So we also know in that year, OKC tried to trade up into the top three to four to draft Oladipo that year. So what can we gauge from that 2013 draft where OKC took Adams with that pick that they got from the Rockets in the Harden trade? Yeah, this was kind of like the last piece of the Harden trade. And I actually have a, I don't know, an interesting piece to add to this as well. Um, the, the season after that, um, well, not so that 2013 draft and then starting the 2013, 14 season, um, the 2013 blue and white game, which is basically the, the thunder scrimmage that is like semi open to the public took place down at Choctaw high school. No, no, no. This was the year was at Newcastle high school. And I happened to win two tickets to go to the scrimmage. 
Uh, I won them via U.S. Cellular. And part of winning these tickets, I got to sit like down on the floor at the Newcastle High School and watch the Thunder play. But me, along with the other people that won tickets, uh, probably a, a collection of about 30 of us, got to sit down for an hour with Sam Presti before the scrimmage and just talk. And it was a really, really cool experience. And I remember asking Presty, it was just like a Q&A, and I remember asking him about the draft. And basically what he said was that at pick 12, there were two guys that they were thinking about drafting. And whenever the Thunder were on the board, Steven Adams was there. So they made the draft pick, and they're really happy with it. And I asked him, I said, will you tell us who that second person was that you wanted to get? And um, he said, no, I won't tell you. But he made it seem as though Adams was their first guy. And then there was a second guy they were willing to take. Um, but they went with Adams instead. But mm -hmm. so somebody later in that draft, uh, Sam Presti was very high on and had his eye on. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. He wouldn't tell us. I've kind of speculated that it was probably either Giannis or at that time the Thunder needed a big and I kind of think maybe it was Gobert maybe Presti had his eye on Gobert at 12 um, but it's interesting that if Adams wasn't on the board at 12 Woj says that the Thunder would have traded the pick probably to Toronto and Toronto wanted to take Giannis at 12 so the Thunder at least were considering trading that last piece to the Harden deal and, you know, who knows what this franchise looks like if the Thunder trade back from 12 that year, get a player maybe and a pick, and, you know, the the whole roster, the whole breakdown of this team could be completely different, you know? I just think it's interesting to get those insights to um, to kind of what, what the team was thinking and what they wanted. Uh, like you said, we know that the Thunder, we, there's been numerous reports that they try to trade up in that draft. I think they were offering something like um, pick 12, Kendrick Perkins, and something else to try to get in the top three, trying to trade with uh, Orlando or Cleveland or somebody else to jump up and get Oladipo. Um, Presti was high on Oladipo for a long time, ended up trading for him. Uh, but it's interesting how those things like kind of come full circle. So I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that Woj had mentioned that. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. And then OKC does get Oladipo, sign him to a long-term deal, and then they shipped him off to Indiana. But people are going to make a big deal about that, especially when he wins most improved. Like, oh, look what OKC did, and completely ignore that his usage rate is like 20% higher. Yeah, and you know, you think if the Thunder draft Oladipo, in that draft in 2013, that was the same year they got Robertson. So Oladipo probably becomes your shooting guard instead of Robertson. And mm -hmm. we've seen what one year with Russ did for Oladipo, how he changed the way he prepares. Imagine Oladipo coming into Oklahoma City year one of his career, rookie season, and working next to Russell Westbrook. Could be a completely different player, you know, and he might still be, you know, OKC's five, six-year starter at the at the two spot and it's a completely different team you know so i don't know it's just it's interesting how those pieces fall in place yeah we'll be it'll be an exciting off season again as far as draft okc i think has two draft picks in the second round mm -hmm. they may package a player with those two draft picks to move up higher in the second round or maybe really really late 
first round. I doubt that, though. And then they'll be making moves free agency-wise because, like I said, they only have eight people signed for next year on roster in the in the article and on a previous podcast. So they have some they have some magic to work. See what happens. I don't know if Felton will be back. We discussed that. But anyways, yes. one more thing, of offseason, sorry, one more thing on that 2013 draft. Um, a lot of people view that draft as not a great draft. You no, know, Anthony Bennett number one, Victor Oladipo two, like Cody Zeller is top ten, et cetera, et cetera. Where is where is Anthony Bennett now? Like, is he like China or something? Yeah, he's playing overseas somewhere. Is he in some um, league? He he was in the D League for a while. Yeah. I know that. Um, but in a draft that's typically seen by a lot of people as a weak draft, the Thunder got a top 10, arguably top 7 to 5 center in Steven Adams at 12. And they got who should have been Defensive Player of the Year last year, barring injury, uh, Andre Robertson at pick 26. So that, w- that ended up being a, a pretty good draft for the Thunder in a pretty weak draft class. So... Presty, Presty's a uh, a really good drafter, a very good drafter. Most often, because in like the next year, didn't he draft Mitch McGarry and Josh Eustis? Yep. Yeah. And then yep. subsequently after campaign. Yep. I mean, you miss on oh, you miss on a few of them, but you know, overall, <laughs> he drafted three MVPs and back to back to back years, so he uh, he maybe gets a pass for the campaign draft. They're good at gauging potential. They're very very high on Terrence Ferguson. Yep. But speaking of the offseason, what can Russ do to get better over the summer? Or how can Russ get better over the summer other than basically improving his shooting stroke like anybody else in the NBA might say? This is a really good question. Thinking of this realistically, um, you know, I, I think that Russ needs to get a little bit better at playing off the ball. You know, those catch and shoot threes. I don't have stats in front of me, but. Just the eye test tells us that when Rush catches and shoots threes, he's a lot more accurate than he is when he does those off-the-dribble threes. Um, Whenever he cuts, there's times where he'll like do a give-and-go, and and you can see that explosiveness off the ball, which would be very, very helpful. And if Paul George comes back, I think he's got to learn to play off the ball a little bit better and then just be consistently engaged defensively. I don't know how much you can expect of that because – you know, he's already so late in his career. He's got these tendencies already in place, and it's hard to really break those type of things. You know, this is kind of just the player he is. But Russ always comes back better at something. And I think the hope this year would be that he comes back more willing to play off the ball a little bit um, and just be not even a better defender. Just I think just by being more engaged, he becomes a better defender. You know, not falling asleep as much, especially off ball. Yeah, I don't know if his defense is going to get any better because, like you said, he's already formed that habit over a series of years. And other than like consistently improving his shot, I think something he can really work on is making his passes more accurate. Because a lot of times when he's running full speed and he whips it to the corner and whips it behind him, it's not necessarily in the spot that you want to catch and shoot at, especially for an Alex Abrinas. Like sometimes off the bend at the knees, the really reach out to the side and grab it. So he could really be more consistent with how his passes are being flashed out there and where they're being placed. So pass placement is kind of a big deal because some of the best point guards in the league, they're not necessarily like running with the full head of steam and then they're stirring it out. They're, you know, they're, they're playing in the flow of the game and delivering like really, really passes that are on points. Like, of course, Russ is not going to be a Rondo 
Of course, Russ is probably not going to be a CP3 as far as pass placement, but you want him to be pretty pretty consistent with where the ball is going to get his shooters to be more successful. I mean, he's already making his shooters successful with driving the lane and kicking the ball out to a wide-open three or a wide-open mid-range, but you want the, the ball placement to be accurate as well, that, they, that they're in rhythm so that they don't have to bend at the knees to come back up with it. So I think sure. realistically it's pass placement. Interesting, yeah. I, th- I I agree with you on the consistency aspect. Sometimes Russ is right on the money with those passes, and sometimes they're kind of just all over the place. But yeah, I, I think hitting people in those shooting pockets just helps the rest of the team get in rhythm. So I'll be with you on that. In Presti's exit interview, he did clearly state Billy Donovan will be the head coach in Oklahoma City next season. What do you think about that? Not surprising. Why? I, ex- I expected it. Um, I mean, Donovan's kind of uh, Presti's man. You know, he he fired Scott Brooks to go get Billy Donovan. You know, even though we were told that there was a coaching search, I think we all kind of know Presti knew exactly what he wanted whenever he let Scotty Brooks go. And my thing is, like, a lot of people want to blame the coach for – like this past season, I, I feel like the coach is oftentimes a scapegoat. And yeah, I do think you can put some stuff on Billy for the way the season went, but who was out there that you're going to go get that's going to be better? I mean, Greg Popovich isn't coming here. You know, right. Brad Stevens isn't leaving Boston. You know, so where are you getting this this upgrade at coach at? Um, I, I think one of Billy's strengths is he understands that it's a a player-driven league, not a coach-driven league. And he he doesn't create drama, kind of like what Fizdale did out in Memphis. You know, he doesn't have that drama around him uh, as far as like control and power over the team. So, I mean, I think part of the thing is Billy's never had a consistent roster. Every year, he's got a different team he's playing with with different expectations. You know, and I think if he gets Paul George back this year and they can bring back mostly the same team and start to build some continuity, then we we can maybe start to see the benefits of of press or no, sorry, not as Presti, uh with Donovan as a coach. You know, we always talk about how he's experimenting with different guys and playing with different guys and different lineups. Well if you bring the whole team back finally for once, it's not as much experimentation, you know? So mm-hmm. we'll see. I agree with that. I was gonna say exactly that that Billy Donovan has not had a consistent roster. He just hasn't. And people want to blame Billy Donovan for defensive shortcomings, especially after this year, even though Andre Robertson went down, even though Presti did say, hey, Dre's really important to this team, but he's not that important. And they should have been able to win more games and not suffer as much defensively as they did. I mean, of course, Mello was there and they'd opted not to put Jeremy Grant in. So that's kind of a coaching thing, but whatever. But having a consistent roster really, really helps. So if Billy Donovan gets this roster back next year with Mello or with not without Mello, it's still somewhat of a consistent roster, whereas he's had turnover his entire time. First year in the league, he had KD. They went to the Western Conference Finals. The next year, totally reshaped roster. No Kevin Durant, just Russ and some other pieces. And Oladipo just still trying to find himself into the Thunder system. The next year... Again, reformatted roster with Russ, 
PG, and the next thing you know, no canter. Now all of a sudden you have Carmelo Anthony, like literally as soon as training camp starts. So then you're coming into this next year. We don't know what the hell to expect, especially with when we're saying, I wonder what OKC is going to do this offseason, whereas there are other teams that they know they're going to have continuity going into the next season. Like, do you really think the Warriors are worried what's going to happen this offseason? No, they're not worried what's going to happen this offseason. The Boston Celtics, no, they're not worried what's going to happen this offseason. So, and even this, even the Raptors, without Dwayne Casey, they know what to expect this offseason. So Oklahoma City, it's like they've been in flux for the past three years. And honestly, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's going to be exhausting until basically August, until all this crap is over. And then once you get into the season, it'll be it will be done. It'll be formatted, but it's just really exhausting. And I imagine it's and it's it's really mentally, really mentally exhausting for Thunder fans. You guys got to think about Billy Donovan, where he's had roster turnover for three years in a row, and it's not like one piece here, like oh Doug McDermott or Samaje Kristen or or maybe a Serge Ibaka. It's Kevin Durant. It's Oladipo and Sabonis, which were big parts of that team, and and Cantor. Oh, and then he got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and both those guys could come back, or both those guys may not come back. So it's just really exhausting for us as fans. You got to imagine from the coaching perspective, it's just it's a lot. Now, is it the right move to keep Donovan? Sure, I I don't know. His first year in the league, he did amazing. His second year in the league, you know, that's kind of you can't really say much about it it's almost they like a wash to survive yeah the third year in the league i don't, I don't know it's it's kind of odd you can't really yep. judge it, a it, lot. It, it's hard to gauge it's like too small of a sample size because you know? like you can't say well is the team progressing because each year they're hitting the restart button as exactly. far as the, what the roster's been doing so if he has consistency sure yeah he's taken back next year but i i don't know it's kind of like scott brooks and the whiz they've really not progressed at all. So would I be surprised if Scott Brooks remains the head coach? If he doesn't remain the head coach, I wouldn't be surprised because he really hasn't done much of that team, and that's a really good squad. Yep. So yeah, I'm and, not sure. And I, I would th- say I, keep him around for a year. Yeah, I think you offer a good point there on the consistency basis because if Billy Donovan had had the same team for three years, if the Thunder were still trotting out Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Kevin Durant, Stephen Adams, Andre Robertson, you know, or swap out um, Serge Ibaka for Al Horford or whatever. But if he had had that consistency for three years, I think we could really make a a judgment call on how he is as a coach. But with the Mm -hmm. lack of consistency, he's coaching a different team every year. And that's, you know, at the beginning of each year, it's like you're starting fresh. And like you said, there's no continuity. And I think that continuity is really important. So, Hopefully, he'll have some continuity going into next year, and we can really see how the team develops under his leadership, you know, because I feel like at when we get to the end of each of the past three seasons, it's okay, we've we've kind of started to build something, let's see what happens next year, and then the next year, it's back at square one again, so. Yep. So, speaking of coaches, especially ones that just had the best, like, the best season of their coaching career... And one of the best seasons in franchise history, uh, going on to you, the Raptors fired Dwayne Casey. What do you think around the association, Jake? The Dwayne Casey firing, we also, we've had a lot of other coach openings this offseason. The Knicks, the Suns, um, who else am I missing here? 
Memphis retained uh, J.B. Bickerstaff. Yep. Um, Milwaukee is looking for a coach. Mm-hmm. And so the, the coaching carousel has already begun. But yeah, like you mentioned, Dwayne Casey, best regular season in franchise history. One of his best seasons as a head coach. Probably uh, a lot of people think is going to win coach of the year and gets fired shortly after his season is over. What do you make of that? Did did Toronto make the right decision there, and what should they do moving forward? Uh, What I make of that is strictly what Patrick Patterson said right as soon as it happened. Patrick Patterson got on Instagram and Twitter and said that Dwayne Casey is a sacrificial lamb. Dwayne Casey is the scapegoat. There are problems at play in that organization and it's not the coach so i trust patrick patterson on that one i think it's ridiculous that Dwayne casey got fired because they just had that season and it's not really his fault that demar Derozan couldn't put out it's not his fault kyle lowry it was the playoff raptors again yep. he can't go out and execute those shots for them and play defense for them so i thought it was pretty ridiculous that the raptors after having one of the best seasons ever finishing with the first seed in the east He's coach of the year, and then he gets he gets tossed. Like, what coach are you going to go out and get other than, like you said, Greg Popovich? That's really going to help things. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm with you on that totally. And, you know, if I'm Dwayne Casey, I'm writing a letter to LeBron James saying, you got me fired. Because that's that the reason he got fired is because they got swept. And, I mean, like you said, it's not his fault that, that DeMar DeRozan played so bad that he got benched the entire fourth quarter of Game 3. Yep. You know, it's not his fault that LeBron James is literally the best player to maybe ever play the game and hits that, you know, off-handed running floater off the glass to win the game in game three or that his team couldn't make a basket, couldn't tip the damn ball in the hoop in game one to win the first game of the series. You know, like, I agree, he's a sacrificial lamb. And if I'm a Toronto Raptors fan, I think I probably more want to keep Dwayne Casey and get rid of DeMar DeRozan than Mm -hmm. vice versa. Speaking of coaches that will probably be fired at the end of the season, it's Ty Lue because Boston is shellacking Cleveland 29-9 in the first quarter. Wow. Dude, Boston's got such a bright future. It's It's just incredible how bright of a future they have. All right, well, let's move on from coaches for a moment, and let's talk about the NBA draft because coming up on Tuesday night, we get the draft lottery where the ping pong balls fall into place and we see who is drafting where in the top 14 uh, in June's draft. Anything, you looking forward to this at all? Anything exciting for you with the draft lottery, Kamiar? Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it. I'm not really excited about it because I know Oklahoma City's not involved in it at all. And it's just going to be the Cavs getting a decent player, maybe to replace, replace Braun after the offseason. And Boston, they they get the they get a Lakers pick possibly if it lands between two and five. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to it at all. I'll be interested to see what happens as far as, like, who lands where and, like, Again, just specifically for Cleveland, because Cleveland may have to replace Braun after this offseason or after this after this series, the way it looks. So I, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I'm, I am really interested to see how it comes out. Yeah, for sure. So 
the Cavs, I think, are the most interesting team in the lottery. Uh, they have that Nets pick that's currently slated to be eighth, but they have, I think, about a 10% chance uh, to win the lottery and fall in picks one through three. And I'm really interested to know if they are going to make a selection or if they are going to trade that pick to try to upgrade the roster a bit in order to get some more help to convince LeBron James to stay. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, Obviously, the higher the draft pick, if they do hit the lottery and get pick one, two, or three, that pick becomes much, much more valuable uh, on the trade market. Uh, This draft is very top-heavy, so it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Like you said, Boston has a chance to land in picks two to five, which is insane considering the talent Boston, the young mm-hmm. talent Boston already has. And then it's also fun to know that Philly is going to add another top 10 pick to that roster. You know, Philly's going to have all these young guys and Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons, Dario Saric, um, Joel Embiid, and now they're going to add another top 10 pick. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see who they get and where exactly they fall. But I feel like the, the draft is... Probably really important this year for the NBA landscape just for the the sake of Cleveland because if LeBron leaves, that can throw the rest of the NBA in complete limbo and kind of screw up everything. So I'm really interested to see what happens with that Cavs pick that they own via the Nets mm-hmm. and what they end up deciding to do with that pick. You know, they can't trade it until after the season is over completely after the last game of the finals. Um, you know, will they trade it? Will they save it up till draft night and make a decision on what to do? It'll be interesting. So I'm excited to see kind of what happens and how things fall in place. I really enjoy draft night because that's probably the night we get the most movement in the NBA aside of trade deadline day, you know, so should be good. Speaking of draft picks, speaking of Boston, we just talked about how good Boston is. Um, a thought I had that I wanted to propose Last time on the podcast, we talked about should Boston keep Marcus Smart or Terry Rozier? Which one should they keep? Which one should they let go slash trade? Uh, here's an alternative to that idea, and I want to get your opinion on this, Kamiar. Should Boston keep both Rozier and Smart and see if San Antonio was willing to do a, a Kyrie Irving for Kawhi Leonard swap? We do know that via Woj that... San Antonio was really interested in in Kyrie whenever he was made available by the Cavaliers. So you have to assume that 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 interest is still there. And if they can't repair that relationship with Kawhi, if you're San Antonio and if you're Boston, would you consider a Kyrie for Kawhi trade? Here's the issue that I think arises when you have this question is that you would have to include like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in that trade with Kyrie because what are you, because your your issue is having too many guards, right? Like your issue is Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, and Kyrie Irving all in the backcourt and someone is gonna want more playing time. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue that may arise that you're like saying, Hey, let's maybe trade Terry Rozier because of the Reggie Jackson situation. Well, if you are able to trade Kyrie and I don't I don't I don't have the money right in front of me. I don't have a trade machine pulled up. But I imagine the numbers are pretty similar because both are on max contracts, right? Yeah. I think I think straight up Kyrie for Kawhi would work. All right. So then like you would have to you would have to trade Jalen Brown with Kyrie or you'd have to trade Jason Tatum, which is not likely with Kyrie, because if you trade Kyrie for Kawhi straight up, 
you're gonna have the same problem as far as you know in, in the front court yeah. on, on on your wings because you just got rid of Jay Crowder and you're gonna have issues with you know crowding on the wings with Kawhi Jason Tatum who is really really good who's amazing as a rookie and is really carrying is partially carrying that team in the playoffs yeah. they're right now kicking the hell and kicking the piss out of the Cavs. And you, so Tatum's a future all-star. Jalen Brown's really, really good. So you're going to have to – it's the same situation. You would have to trade one wing with that point guard to ensure there's not crowding just like the there would be overcrowding in the backcourt as well. Definitely. So honestly, uh, of course, San Antonio has interest, but if I am, if I am the Celtics, I wouldn't do it. You have Gordon Hayward coming back. That's already another wing coming back that's already dealing with crowding. Then you trade yeah. Kyrie. You already have, like, how many wings? Like, you're going to have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum off the bench. That's not going to happen. Yeah, you're gonna exactly. Bring Gordon, you're going to bring Gordon Hayward off the bench. That's not going to happen if you slide it, unless you slide him down to the two. Then Marcus Smart's going to get pissed that he's not getting playing time. There's a lot of things that could go into this, that, so I, I don't point. think you make that trade at all. If Boston does make that trade, I think they would have to make it with the intent of playing Kawhi at the four, right? Yep. Yeah, play Kawhi at the four. Probably Tatum fits better at the four if he yeah. pulls up a little bit. And then he put Kawhi at the three. Yep. Gordon Hayward at the two. Terry Rozier at the one. And then you're bringing Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart off the bench, which that'd be a disgusting team. But yeah, I'm with you in the fact that it would create overcrowding in the front court as well. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting, interesting possible solution to that dilemma of Boston has issues they have to figure out but they have issues that all 29 other teams wish they had, you know, mm -hmm. just too many good wings, too many good like, young wings and like too many good young guards. Yeah. A lot of people are forgetting that Gordon Hayward's on the team. It's like after he broke his foot, he died or something like, no, he's still yeah. there. Yeah. He probably could play right now. Honestly, he's been rehabbing for quite a while, but he'll be back next, next, uh, I almost said semester. <laughs> he'll be back next season and, uh, he's going to be there. And he's going to be really good. And, and he signed a he signed a four year max. Yeah. So let me ask you this: with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum coming up, and then them getting another young draft pick, maybe this year there's a small percentage chance, or for sure next year, is Gordon Hayward still on Boston's roster at the end of that contract? That's a good question. Do they trade him? I think it depends on how Jalen Brown's uh, trajectory, his career trajectory. Uh, looks for the outlook over the summer because if Jalen Brown looks like he may be on a similar path or maybe even a better, he is already, I think he's already a better defender than Gordon Hayward. But if he's on a similar path as far as offensive wise, you probably trade Gordon Hayward because right now, look at what they're doing without Kyrie Gordon and Gordon Hayward right now. Yep. So really, do you need him? Probably not. So that's a question to look at. I yep. mean, who wants a who wants a white shooting uh, small forward that can actually shoot the lights out? Yep, I'm with you. All right, well, we're at about 45 minutes, so let's go ahead and hurry up and wrap this bad boy up. I want to talk to conference finals real quick. We've already mentioned Cavs and Boston are currently on. Boston is up on the Cavaliers, but Kamir, give me your prediction in that series. I'm going to go, I, it's going to make for a really shitty finals. I'm going to go Boston in six. Wow, okay. I've got the Cavs in seven. I love Boston. I love their coach. I love their team. I just I have such a hard time betting against LeBron right now. Right. Um, let's go out west. Rockets versus Dubs. Game one is tomorrow night in Houston. 
because yep. Houston has the home court advantage. How do you see that series playing out? I'm going to get the hot take sounder on me on this one. Oh, yeah, the new hot take sounder. Yeah, it rockets in five. Wow. Ah. I'm sweating. You tell me that motherfucker ain't hot, you alive, motherfucker. Rockets in five. Holy crap. Here, Here's the deal. Steph Curry is not 100% healthy. And the Warriors, they're not as deep as they used to be. And my thing is, the Rockets, their offensive efficiency is the best in NBA history. They also are claiming a top five defense. They have a lot of guys that can play. They're deeper than the Warriors. And it's simply, they are deeper than the Warriors. Yep. And they have a lot of bodies that they can throw at Draymond Green. P.J. Tucker, they can throw on Draymond Green, and, and P.J. PJ can play the three. Mm-hmm. And he can shoot. He can extend. He can extend the defense beyond the perimeter. That he can make those corner threes. He can make those spot up um, straight, straight on threes to drag Draymond from underneath the basket. And then, I mean, they can play the hell out of a small ball where PJ is playing the five, or Luke Mbamute is playing the five. Is Luke Mbamute healthy? Yeah, I'm, yeah I I fully right. expect a lineup of like CP3, Harden, um, G- Gordon, or Ariza. Yeah. And then Mbamute, and then PJ Tucker playing the five. Like yeah, I fully the, expect that lineup against against the Warrior death lineup. It's it's unbelievable. They have so many bodies, and like we're not even talking about Gerald Green. They have like eleven to eleven legitimate NBA players that can go and get legitimate minutes. Yep. And the the Warriors, they don't. They they they've had that in the past. Andre Iguodala is getting older. He's getting slower. David West is not really a factor that much anymore. Sean Livingston, people have figured out his game. He's mid range, so you play him like a big man. Zaza's still being a bitch. Uh, then, but you've got the starters, and the starters are really good. No, it's and it's no doubt. But you know what? The Rockets are really good too, and I think the Rockets own that season series. I did. Did the Warriors even beat them once this year? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I know the Rockets won the season series, and I'm not. I would not be surprised. I, I said Rockets in five, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends in six. It's not going seven. That I don't think that. Uh, I just think the Rockets are a better team. Although they came together in one year, they look like they've been playing for a while. That offense is working well. The defense is working well, and that CP3 Harden tandem is really working out for them. Yeah. What do you think? I've got the Dubs in six. Boo. Yeah, I know. I don't want that to happen. That's just what I see is going to happen. I think it's going to be, uh, what would, would that be, round four of Cavs dubs? Yeah. I, I think. So, uh, so I, I've got Boston Rockets. you got Cavs Warriors. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening to our podcast, guys. We really appreciate you. If you like what you hear, it would be awesome if you would go and leave a five-star rating on iTunes for us. Um, just takes just a quick minute. Just click the five-star button. You're good. You can feel free to leave, leave a review. We would really appreciate that. Make sure you go check out our shirts. They are at the uncontested.bigcartel.com. They're put together by, cool. our, by our bro Andrew over at Passive Juice Motel, who does really, really good work. So go purchase the shirt. Go find Andrew's work. Buy shirts from him because they're awesome, and he's local, and he's running his own business. So help him out. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at The Uncontested. You can follow Kamiar at BoomtownRW. Go congratulate him on that master's degree. You can follow me at ThunderMob405. Go congratulate me for not being overly depressed today. 
and enjoy the conference finals. We will be back. Um, contrary to popular belief, Nick and Justin still do exist and they are on the podcast. Um, we just never hear from them anymore. So maybe next week we'll get Nick and Justin and Taylor and the whole crew back on and and have some talks about how the conference finals are going and maybe we'll get some more Paul George Twitter saga that we can talk about. But until then, you guys take it easy. Have a great Mother's Day and thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.